0: Our preaching together our music together i'm gonna to have to learn everything because at the pace that god's gonna move us i can't be dependent on anybody else So there I am in my home having to look over every now and then at my wife and looking at her like she's looking at me like, you don't know what the heck you're doing and where where are you leading us? Where are you taking us? And I have to get my eyes off of her. And then I'm looking at God and the Lord saying, I'm dealing with everything that I'm tolerating about you. And there I am trying to work through that design graphics and make albums and learn how to build a website. And then I'm going and, you know, having to put my life in a down economy in the hands of pastors that don't even know me. Most of them just know me as music and they only know me for my music musical abilities, and I'm having to come in and say, can I come and speak at your church? And All these things are happening. But all of it is being motivated by saying, God, I know there's something inside of me that I got to go to another level. There's something in me more that is saying that if this is the price that I have to pay, if this is what I got to go through to get to that next level, I'm willing to do it because I want to make an impact in this ministry. When I was in my pastor's church, I wanted to make an impact in the church. But now that I'm in our pastor's ministry internationally, we want to make an impact. Me and my wife have to. To make an impact, are you hearing me today? So it's there that, at that time, that God just began to put the fire in me. He got to begin to put that fire in a time. See, that's what we don't understand is that hopelessness comes to trials, but so does hope. There's two end results. God allows the trials in our lives and he wants to produce, the Bible says that trials produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and this hope will not disappoint. But when that is for those who stay on God's pathway, but when we're leaders that position there's another word that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. When we reposition our lives on our own pathway, on the enemy's pathway, then what should have persevered makes us feel like giving up. What should have produced hope ends up bringing hopelessness. Are you hearing me? And this is why it is so important for each and every single one of us, if you look back in your notes, is to stay positioned in the proper place it's not just about exaltation that's what we do that's who we are that's what we model before we do anything a building right and we come in and then we say okay i'm a part of my pastor's team i'm going to raise the expectation because that man that woman they got the new seed to take us to the next level i'm going to look for people that are deflated i'm looking for people that are going through it. i'm going to raise that expectation i'm going to make sure that i'm ministering to the body So that way they come into the new seat and we're going to the next level. But the other thing is, in order for me to do all that, in order for the people to do that, in order for the church to be effective, we have to stay positioned in the right place. See, why is positioning so important? Because the Bible says, I will go before you, 45, 2, and 3, right? Clear a path, give you treasures out of darkness, hidden riches in secret places. He says... Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, for you shall expand to the right and to the left. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 says, behold, uh, he says, forget the past. Behold, I am doing a new thing. The new thing means brand new thing. Difference between new and brand new is new is a newer version of what you already had. Brand new is something that never existed in your life before. He says, so as I take you to where I'm taking you, I'm taking you down a road you've never been before and I'm gonna make you into a person you've never been to before. Are you hearing me? So you can't try to box God in and say, God, how do I get there? When you're trying to get there using everything you experienced, when he just told you, forget the past, the good and the bad, let it all go because your past did its job, it got you here. But now your past is over, And now Isaiah 42, 9, or 48, 6, or 7 says, from now on, it introduces us to a new mentality that's not the past. But it says, from now on, I will speak to you things. Are you hearing me? Let me read that. I don't want to get this wrong because I I want you to get this. Isaiah 42, 9, it says, or 48, 6, or 7. From now on, I will tell you of new things. Of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today. So you cannot say yes, I knew of them. He said, I'll say it again. From now on. So here we are. Lord says, I've crossed over before you. I've secured growth and expansion for you. I am making you today who I need you to be for tomorrow. But in order for you to get and walk into the next level of your character, the next level of your financial income, the next level of your ministry's growth, your men's home going to double in numbers and your Bible studies are going to double in numbers and your music ministry is going to double in numbers and your youth ministry. In order for you to get there to that place, I can't teach you things and I'm not going to talk to you like your teachers have talked to you. Your mom taught you, your dad taught you, your pastor taught you, different people came and taught you, and how they taught you was according to their past and their experience. But God says, I'm coming different than they did. They're talking to you from their past, I'm talking to you from your future. I'm not talking to you from where you're coming from, I'm talking to you where you're going. I'm coming alongside of you and I'm coaching you to get you to the right place at the right time. I'm telling you what's up ahead. I'm not telling you what's behind. I'm coming and I'm speaking to you things that didn't even exist until you step in the right position. And when you step in the right position, now I'll tell you new things that were unknown to you. They didn't exist before. They existed now. I hid them all your life until you got to this place and that location in your life. And that's why some of you are hitting walls. That's why some of you have been frustrated. You're saying, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do there. God's saying, you don't need to know what to do. Just keep moving forward because when you hit that position, I'm going to speak to you ideas that I've been waiting for you to get to that place for a long time. Come on, give the Lord praise if you believe that. Tonight. You see, he's getting us. Isaiah 48:6 6-7 says, from now on, see that? Just catch that. Someone starts talking to you about your past, throwing your past in your face, say, come on, baby, leave me alone. I don't, I don't function that way no more. I'm functioning from now on. You want to talk to me, talk to me about today and tomorrow. Don't talk to me about yesterday, because I can't do nothing about yesterday. Oh, but that's why the Lord told me in 2009. He said, wherever you go, you and your wife, you tell the people that I love it when they praise me for what I did. But you tell them there's a shift in the spirit. I don't want them to just praise me for what I did for the week they just had. I want them to praise me for the week that they're about to have. Because I want to raise expectation in their lives to get them to think of the great things that we're going to be doing. See, there's a shifting in our mentality. That's what positioning does. It says that I got to get there. I got to get there. But when you're talking about when you're talking about a, a positioning, you're talking about those things as well. You look at Isaiah 42:9, and it says, "See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you." What does that say? That says that God is giving us classified clearance for our life. He is saying, "I'm going to let you in on the future." I'm going to let you in on what's coming ahead. There's going to be times I'm going to expect you just to keep moving by faith. But then there's going to be a time when I may see your faith getting a little weary. That I'm going to come and whisper in your ear and say, don't give up. You're on the brink of the greatest breakthrough. Keep on going because next month I'm going to hit you like you've never been hit with blessings before. Keep on going because your church is about to grow. Plant that Bible study in that city, on that house, in that corner, and you watch. I got 50 souls waiting for you because I know, son, that your heart is for not the growth. It's not for the milk and honey. Your your heart is for the misery of the people. You're seeing what I've seen. So go ahead and plant that Bible study. Go ahead and knock on that door because that door is going to be the door of the young man that is running the whole gang in this neighborhood. And when you knock on that door, you're going to meet the guy that has the most influence in three neighborhoods and he's going to bring in people I want you to get to that store and when you get to that store that man is the brother of the man who owns the building that I'm about to give you I need you to witness to that store owner because he's going to tell his brother about you and his brother's going to give you a killer deal on a new building what you need a van get over there and talk to that person right when I tell you to talk to them talk to them because they own their own store they sell vans and they're going to get you a van they're going to give you a... Just keep positioning yourself where I want you to go. See, it's faith like that. And you, some of you are looking back and you say, man, you're talking to me like I'm a pastor. Like, I, how am I involved in all that?
1: You are.
0: You're the one. You're the one that he's going to tell to go into that store and witness. You're the one that's going to come and you're going to come. But you know what's going to happen? Is you're going to learn as you're positioning yourself, as you're positioning yourself, you're going to learn, i got to be a bridge, not a gate, to the people. See, God will not send people your way. Your God will not send people your way if he doesn't trust that you are discipling them for him. Are you hearing me this morning? There has to be a desire that says, you know what? I am a leader, but I'm a bridge to my pastor. That means that I lay my life down so that others can cross over on my life to get connected to where they need to get connected. You can't be a, you can't be a gate that says, no, 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 I'm not letting no one through until they feel good of me. Or until I feel good with them. Or until they do this. or until they, Listen, you and I, if people come in, you got to connect them. Connect them to your pastor. Connect them to your leaders. Let them meet them. Are you hearing me? I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later. So when we're looking at positioning, another part of positioning is... Getting around people, catch this, look at me when I say this because I really want you to get this. Living your life around people who want, the people that you're surrounding yourself with need to be people who are where you want to get to. Some of us are so used to your leader but you've surrounded your life with people who are worse off than you. And that's why you feel so good about yourself. You look forward to going and teaching your Bible study on Tuesday, because everybody in your Bible study got some issues. And they make you look good. They make you feel good. It's a real part of leadership. Some people feel great just helping people. And they get so in love with helping people that they never stop to take a moment and think, who am I around that can help me? Who am I positioning myself? See, is the thing. It's called becoming your own standard. Unintentionally becoming your own standard. And this is the rule of thumb. If you and I become our own standard, we will never get better than ourselves. It's not until you come and you put your life, position your life, that's the word we're using, right? Position your life next to somebody who is where you want to get to who has experienced what you want to experience, who has achieved what you want to achieve, and say, now I need to become the type of leader that is not just a soldier, but now I need to become what is called an officer. Okay, What's the difference? A soldier sits around waiting for an officer to come and give him orders. An officer, while the soldiers are waiting, are in the room strategizing and creating assignments for soldiers. So as a leader to build your ministry, you are now in a place that says, okay, I positioned myself here. I see somebody that I'd really admire that is accomplishing the things that I would like to accomplish. And I'm gonna position my life next to them. Now that I am next to them, now what do I need to do? Three words, write them down. Number one, I need to become a researcher. See and why am I saying this? it's so important because how many are going to conference? World Conference just wave your hand at me, okay? Many hands. When you're going to World Conference we are bringing the experts of the world in certain areas. There's, there's, there's tremendous people that are very skilled from all over the world in different areas. There's some churches that have great small groups. There's some churches that have great music ministries. There's some churches that have great youth ministries. There have some. All these people, that conference is a week to not just come and just sit back. And, you know, and let me just say this just for just saying it, purpose, is that conference is not the end result. If you have the mentality, of like, oh, I just want to get a conference, and you go to conference, you oh my god, it was so great, it was so awesome, it was so wonderful, and then you go back to your city and be like, okay, business as usual. Conference is there to expose you and I to the potential that we all have. Are are you hearing me? And it's also designed to strengthen the vision of our ministry in all of our churches and everything. It's an alignment time, it's an exposure time, it's a feeding time, it's all those things. So now, as a leader, who is understanding my place, is that when you position yourself, just like today, we would have, if you would have chose to have breakfast, go to the city, go run some errands, do everything you could have did but come here today, sure, would, would it be sin? No, it wouldn't have been sin. You would come tomorrow, but you wouldn't come tomorrow thinking like the way you're gonna think tomorrow after being here today. You positioned yourself today in the right place, Now you're being filled. Are you hearing me? And so now what's happening is, is that we're preparing ourselves for this conference. But conference is not to prepare just for conference. We are preparing ourselves for after conference. We are looking and saying after conference is going to be a time when we should be exploding into more areas of ministry because of our mentality and expectation going into conference. Are you hearing me? And so it's going to be something that you and I, as we're looking at and we're really, really begin to ask God as he's positioning us. We're going in a world conference and now you're going to be surrounded by all these people that you're going to be able to learn from. So Once you're there, you come and you say, well, you know what? I remember what Pastor Mono said. I remember what my pastor said. I remember I have to be three things when I'm around people who are where I want to get to. Number one, a researcher, which is a question asker. Ask let me just tell you why. If you want to be effectively leading in this time, you are given the challenge to lead a generation of young people, young adults, that will not be satisfied with what the first generation was, in some senses, satisfied to do our first generation now not all of them but for the majority of them and you correct me if i'm wrong is that our first generation was filled with more of a soldieristic mentality that said do what you're told if you start questioning brother shh, flow are you hearing me follow no 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 but I, why do we got no. said, brother come on what's wrong with you? you got pride just flow Oh, flow, just be quiet. Don't ask questions, bro, come on, just get in the van. Just get in the van. Well, how can we have to go, no, no, no. Again, now, okay, so this first generation of our ministry has produced tremendous leaders, tremendous officers, but it was heavy soldier level. Now you have this time in this generation that our founders coming and saying all over the world i don't need soldiers i need officers i need leaders who are going to go into churches and go into communities and they're going to know how to strategize they're going to know how to build they're going to know how to use all their weapons they're going to know how to use everything and whatever they don't have they're going to know how to make make it happen and make things happen and i need people who are officers so that means that as we're leading This generation that's coming up will not be satisfied with you telling them what to do. Because if you tell them what to do, it's going to be followed with, why do I need to do it? Are you sure this way you're telling me to do it is the best way? How can I do it better? When do I need to do it? Are you hearing me? Now this generation is not going to come and just say, tell me what to do. They're going to hit you with the what, why, when, how, where. So what does that mean? One of the challenges that we are dealing with in our ministry as a whole in churches is that you don't see, sometimes you see this gravitation towards the pastor, all the leaders around the pastor, is because sometimes this is where us as leaders are most comfortable. Because at this level, sometimes we're just getting told what to do. But when we come over here, the reason why we're not comfortable is because now we're being forced to explain the vision And we have been doing it so many years without really understanding the purpose of why we did a lot of things that we don't know how to explain it. So we run back over here. Just tell me what to do. Are you hearing me? So I'm safer here receiving an order. Pastor Dave, I would like to just be around you because you'll just tell me do this and do this. But when I come to the people of this generation, they're asking me the what, how, why, when, and I don't feel comfortable with that. So what happens is now there has to be a leadership that rises that says not only are we going to position ourselves, but a part of positioning ourselves, now we are going to be the question askers that we need to ask because I need to know that when it comes time to do this, why we did it. Why did you experience this success? How did you experience this success? How did your home grow uh, 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 to the level that it did How did your music ministry grow to the next level? See, there has to be a, a heart and a hunger for researching, for question asking. Are you hearing me? To get in there and really begin to look and say, God, I want to be able to do the things that you have challenged me. But at the same time, I know I need to know why for this generation. Why and why do we need to cater to this generation? Because this is the generation you've been challenged to lead. All those young people that are in the youth ministry now, 16, 15, 17, 2, 3 more years, they're going to be in your church. They're going to be in your church, and they're going to be looking. And they're going to be looking and saying, no, you know, it's not about youth. It's not about youthfulness. It's about cutting edge. These young people are coming in. They want they, they, they want things to be exciting. They want the ministry to be exciting. And then they're going to come under some of your ministries, and it's going to be like, just flow, flow, see, flow right out of here <laughs> I'll flow right out of your group get into somebody else's group I'll flow right out of your church and get into somebody else's church, you know and so sometimes looks oh, they're proud, they're ambitious or this and there. no, no, no. It's, it, sometimes it's that, yeah but they're hungry they're hungry to learn you see the little kids, three years old, four years old some of you have them on the computer four years old Five years old, clicking the mouse, going here, playing their games, right? On, on, on the computer. Intelligent, quick, you know? So we need to look and we need to say, okay, posi- part of me positioning myself when I'm around people who want, or I want to get to be where they're at, I need to be that researcher. I also need to be a, a surveyor. I need to research, I need to survey. When you look at someone who is surveying, I just want to look at my notes real quick because I want to get something right here. Let me just look at this real quick. As you're looking and, and, and also write this down, not only surveying, but also a research, surveying, and a follow through person. I'm sorry. Not surveying, strategists. I knew that word was right. That's why I was looking at. Strategists. Okay? So research and surveying goes together. Strategists and also follow-through person. So research and surveying deals with being a question asker, right? Strategists deals with being a planner. Planning. Preparation. Now let me tell you this. Why is planning so important now more than ever? Planning is so important more than ever is because you have too many things competing with the time of the church. People have more things to do now than ever. Uh, they, want, they want to know that they're coming in service. They're coming, and again, this is not the way you should be thinking. Are you hearing me? You shouldn't be thinking about, like, I need to get in church and leave. You're leaders. Leaders, you know what you should be thinking? You should be thinking like this. Every single one of you should be thinking, Okay, service starts at nine, um, starts at nine in the morning or 10 in the morning. How many start at 10 in the morning, Sunday, okay? Service starts at 10, I need to be there by nine. I need to be there by nine because the rule of thumb, the principle of leadership is leadership should be present before the people arrive and present when the people have gone. Some of you are leaders and you're the last ones to get to church and the first ones to leave. And so what happens is, is when you're doing that, that's an indicator. We're going back to what we said earlier, does the life of your ministry show up in the church? The reason why it doesn't show up in the church is because you don't value your role in the church service. Possibly. Allegedly. Okay, so you don't get mad at me. <laughs> so what happens is, is that as we're coming in, we're looking and we're saying, okay, question asking, we're strategizing, we're planning. I need to plan my Bible study out. I need to be more efficient in my rehearsals. I I always tell the music ministry, uh, you know, whenever we're training them, is that one of the things is, is that in order to have an increase in music ministry right away, is that rehearsal that happens on Thursday nights or whenever it happens. Rehearsal is to rehearse what you've practiced on your own. When you use rehearsal time for practice time is the reason why you don't get much accomplished. You don't learn new songs for the church as much as you could. You don't learn because there's no system of preparation in place, so that when your people are coming to rehearsal, they're already practiced and they're rehearsed, and are, are they already have been learning. They have been caught up. They have the music in them, so now they're coming to actually rehearse what they've been practicing on their own. Okay, so that's for the music, to in. But what about for the Bible study? What about the preparation that goes into your, your messages on Tuesday nights? What about the preparation that goes into uh, how we're running the home and how we're doing the things in the home? What about the preparation that goes into our youth services? What about the preparation? Now, it, it, we're not going to get into it today, the other lesson, we're not because I'm kind of combining some things here today for the sake of time. And then each one of these points has a detailed, especially the exaltation experience of your church, we can get into that another time, but that will take us through the experience from the car, the people, the time they get out of the car, to the time they go back in, get into the car, right? And everything that flows together. We'll talk about that another time, but this is what I want you to get today is that as we're getting into this place of looking at all that and we're looking at the preparation, there needs to be a team assembled to prepare. And I will say this is that there needs to be a team preparing your services on not only a monthly basis, not just your theme, but how the services are working together. And not just to have the same few little things of, you know, a little announcement, a little testimony, a little thing, I am talking about cutting edge services that are innovative, that are affecting the people, that are changing, that are raising expectation, that are doing all those things from the time that people get out of the car, back into the car. Services with purpose, services with intent, because what happens is this, whether you know it or not people feel when you are not planning your services properly they feel it and after a while sometimes it doesn't make sense when we're challenging them to commitment for church and then we're wondering why didn't they come back on sunday nights well because you haven't put effort in sunday night are you hearing me and see i'm not just saying that with pastors i'm saying that with you i'm, I'm remember i'm not here to speak to the pastors pastors I, i'm coming to serve them in this and I know that God will challenge them on their own. But I'm sharing with you because you're the ideals. You're the idea givers. You're the ones that God is going to speak. And you're going to come to the table with your pastors and say, Pastor, I was thinking about this. Could we do this and do that? And they may reject you at first. Because your standard may not be at the level that they want it. But that doesn't mean, oh, forget it. I'm not going to help. One idea, I got shut down. I'm not going to help. You go back and you say, well, what do you feel is missing from it? Going back to the, being a question asker. Well, what do you feel, what would I need to do to change it? Because I really think, oh, well, I think you need to do this. I think you need to do Okay, we're going to go back. What about now? Okay, well, it's getting better, but do this more. Are you here? Yeah. See, what happens, before you know it, you can start to have things in your service as God leads them and as he leads it through your pastors, you're going to start helping us. You're going to start helping. Uh, hey, Pastor, I think this will be a great testimony. So-and-so. She got healed from cancer the other day. I don't know if you know it, but I want to tell you, oh, that's the people that we need. Because that person is going to come, share their testimony. Faith is going to elevate. We're going to pray for other people that are sick in body. And there's that was the touch that we needed for today. You see what I'm saying? So all these things are a part of it. So uh, it's all a part of planning. It's all a part of strategizing. And then being a follow-through person. Okay? Follow through. Do what you say, say what you do, right? Mean what you say, accomplish what you say. Isn't there a song like that? Say what you mean, something like that, right? Um, that's from the 80s, I'm sorry. I'm aging myself. Okay, so, but look at those three things. Now, when we're talking about positioning, okay? And the other ones I'm not gonna really, really labor on because we kind of have been, but another area that we all need to value, and this is really big, it's not light, I'm um, not, passing over because life is just that we've been talking a lot about it is transformation we need to be a changing church we need to be a changing leadership we need to be people now you know where change starts ask yourself have you really what have you really grown in in the last year ask yourself what have you really grown in What area have you I know for me I'm not perfect But I can honestly say my area of faith has gone to another level in this last year. I could honestly say that there's some new disciplines that I've acquired with dealing with certain types of people. I could honestly say that I've learned the value of silence is golden. You know? I've learned more than ever, like, really, like when just to shut up. Be quiet. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. You don't need to say it. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you're telling the truth when you would. Just don't say it. <laughs> Just be quiet. Smile, you know? I've learned how to see, you know, you, you, you get, it's tra- crazy. When you, whenever you get in a time of transition, a lot of things happen, you know? You get in a transition, you go from this place to that place, from this position to that position. All of a sudden, haters come out, or, you know? Gossipers come out, uh, uh, you know? Friends come out, new friends come out, you know? a lot of things that happen. Sometimes you come in that place, you could just be like, you know, swept away, but you know what, man, I've just learned, be quiet. Son, just be quiet. My wife will remind me of that all the time. She'll always tell me, babe, just sh- don't say nothing, you know, just just leave it. So I've, I've learned, and that w- if you know something about me, okay, I just went to Ireland, and they have a castle called the Blarney Castle, and they have a rock that is the Blarney rock, the Blarney stone, and when you kiss it, you're blessed with the gift of eloquence. Ever since I kissed that stone, I have not stopped talking. <laughs> and I'm talking faster, it seems like. But at the same time, I've learned how to just be quiet and be happy about it. Have you ever been there? Happy, quiet, when things are happening that you know you could be talking about. Are you hearing me? See, so this, and, and so I'm saying that in in, in the area of transformation, is really, really understand. Now, let me just tell you this. When we're doing a transformation, we ha- you, you can't help but talk about transformation without talking about discipleship, you know? And I'll throw a few things in there from the other lesson that I was going to give you today is that when you're talking about discipleship, let me just get this real quick. When we're talking about discipleship, a few of the things that we are really, really need to look at is the type of discipleship that we are doing, of course, like we said, we're discipling under Christ. Before, it's about us. It's not about you and I, it's about discipleship. But let me just say this one thing about discipleship. What's going to start happening now in your churches, if it's not already happening, is there needs to be what is called team discipleship, okay? Team discipleship means that we're working with people, but you're working with people, and this is the beautiful thing about team discipleship. Team discipleship says that this is the person you're working with, but really we're all working with them. And so you're training your disciples to have a respect for people, not just authority, not just pastors, but their brother and their sister. Because when we start working with people, we're training them to know that your change and transformation is going to come from wherever God desires it to come from. And so the beautiful thing about team discipleship is as you have, how many years have you been serving the Lord now? 39 years, right? How many years? 19? 10? 17? 23? Okay. So let's just say this is the team of leadership that we're working. And I got a guy, I'm coming in, I'm working with him, and I'm developing him. And I'm introducing him to the team discipleship concept. And I'm letting him know, look, at these are the leaders, these are the pastors. I want you to make sure that you're open and... I want you to see this, but not only that, look at, here's some of the leadership, here's your family, here's people in the church. You know, I don't know where God's going to desire to change you, and I don't know when he's going to do it. But my goal is to teach you to be open to it whenever it comes. And what I want you to understand is that this discipleship is going to give you the best. I love you so much, and God loves you so much, that I'm going to work with you, but I refuse to limit you and give you my good qualities only. I want you to have all of our qualities. I want you to have the best of all of us so that you are able to be a higher caliber of disciple for our future. And so I want you to feel good with all of the leadership. oh, but man, but you're the one that's coming. Yes, I'm the one that's connecting with you. Yes, the one, but remember, I'm a bridge. I lay my life down for you to cross to get what you need. And I'm not the one that's going to give you what you need only. I'm one piece of the pie. And you see our pastor? That's our pastor. At the end of this discipleship process, our pastor is going to see you and they're going to position you and they're going to place you in the ministry to be used according to what God has called you. Not according to what I think you should be. It's very important that we watch out because sometimes we start working and our motive for discipleship is what we need to be done in the ministry. So when our motive for discipleship is to work with people to fill a hole in our ministry, when they don't fit there because they weren't called there, they break out from underneath us and then they become a rebellious person in our eyes when really we, our discipleship was flawed from the beginning because we weren't working with them according to what God called them to. We were working with them to fill our need. Does that make sense? Right? And, and it's something that we can all be guilty of. And it's not something that we did intentionally or to hurt the people, but sometimes it happens. So we got to make sure that, and one of the things that keeps us level and keeps us honest is team discipleship. Because, you know, when we're in the mother church and we had... We had that team there. That was one of the things. We brought the guys that we were working with and the girls that were being worked with, and they were there. And at times, you know, we were talking. Pastor Charlie would say, oh, you know, what? I need so-and-so over here with me to do this. Or I need this person, and this person shared with me uh, that they really want to be a part of this ministry. And, and that is what it And then what an, ends up happening is the people are happy. They're in love with the Lord, they're happier in their service in the ministry, and then they grow up feeling a sense of unity and camaraderie and love for all their leadership team. One of the things you don't wanna see, one of the things you don't wanna see is that uh, you don't wanna just see people that are just here, attached to one leader. And they're always, and then before you know it, they start talking like that leader. And they become a clone of that leader. And they become acting like that leader and dressing like that leader, you know what I'm saying? One of the biggest turnoffs to me, especially me being a PK, and a kid that grew up in the church, because we would see this not saved, and when you would see it not saved, you would identify it a mile away, and you would, you would, we wouldn't back off that person when we weren't saved. You could always see those guys that come, and the pastor walks in the room, and they're like, "Oh yes, pastor, how you doing?" And "Oh yes, everything's great, and everything da da da, and this and that." And you know, you could tell that's his pastor, that's the one who discipled him, that's the one with him. Then the pastor leaves, and all of a sudden, boom, they turn into a different person, right? Oh, yeah, pastor, whatever you need. And the pastor leaves. Oh brother, come on, get that, pick that up. What are you doing? What are you doing? Their whole confidence changed. Their whole talk, Right? And you look at that and you're like, whoa, what the heck? had just happened. What, you know, who's this guy? You know? You, what, what just happened to this guy? Well, you know what happened? He grew up with one disciple and he learned how to respect one person. But he didn't learn how to respect the whole team. So what happens is he respects here, but he disrespects here. The disciples that we need for the future of this ministry have to be the product of team discipleship. They have to come in at a higher caliber. And what makes them as a higher caliber is all of us together. Your strength. See, I love one of the things that me and my wife learned building the music ministry is that when we started building the music ministry, I don't know how to play an instrument. I don't know how to uh, arrange harmonies. I only knew at that time how to lead worship. And I had a strong area of leadership that I brought to the table. So in the course of that, I felt uh, for the first couple of years, AJ, I probably felt a little insecure because I was like, man, uh, how am I going to lead these people when I don't play an instrument? I don't do this. I don't do that. You know, I don't have the skills like you have. But then the Lord spoke to me very quickly and he told me, listen, I put you in this ministry because I'm going to take everything that you don't have and I'm going to bring it to you in the form of other people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove, and he goes, I'm shifting things in music ministry. He says, in the time that I was coming in music ministry, it was dying out the one-man show type of, uh, uh, I don't know, that's disrespectful, let me say this. It was dying out the type of leaders, music leaders, that were coming in, and they, were, they had the skills to do everything. They had the skill of teaching worship, leading worship, harmonies. Playing their instrument, charting out. Yeah, exactly. They could do it all, right? So that was dying out in Christendom. Then when I was coming in, in Christendom, team ministry was taking off. So team ministry was hitting music ministry. So it wasn't a music ministry that the Lord wanted me to come in knowing how to do all that stuff in order to build. He wanted a music ministry that would be formed of everybody's strengths. So early on I had to learn like how to feel good with what I don't have and don't know how to do because that made room for somebody else and then my eyes were looking for who knows how to do what I don't. And when I saw them, I embraced them where other people would have been intimidated by them. They would have been competitive with them. You see what I'm saying? But that competitiveness wasn't in me because it wasn't about competition. You can't be competitive when you don't know how to play and they do. That's dumb, that's not competitive, that's just dumb, right? So, so that's what happened is that the Lord began to, and then so what happened is, is that the team of people that started to rise up, well, the ministry that we had before, when we first took it over, the music ministry had about 40, 38 people, 40 people involved in it for many years, for as long as I could remember. When me and my wife took it over and the team came in and that concept came in, our music ministry hit 280 people at its peak. And so we seen not just double. We've seen God grow grew it six, seven times more than what it was based off of the concept of team discipleship, team leadership. You see what I'm saying? So I'm saying that because of, and is because when we're discipling and when we're stepping out and when we're starting to work with all the people that we're working on, it's going to be very important for you and I to understand that you are one piece of the puzzle and get around people who are better than you where you're not. Be comfortable. Be comfortable in this time. Be confident to be able to say, I'm not good at this, but you are. And I would love to partner with you so we can do this. And while we partner, I'm going to learn from you. Because eventually I want to make your strength. My weakness, I want to make that that strength that you have, I want to make this weakness a strength of mine. Is that fair to say? Amen? Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand for that. And don't look for just hungry people when you're discipling. We're not just looking for hungry people. You're looking for surrendered people. Okay? There's a lot of hungry people that are very hungry, but have not taken one step to position themselves in the area of discipleship. You know? They're, they're hungry. You talk to them, they're hungry. Hunger doesn't equal results. It doesn't mean that they're willing to step in. Just like amongst leaders... Activity doesn't mean production. So hunger doesn't always qualify someone to be you're looking for surrenderance. That's what you're looking for. You're looking. If you have if if you leave here today and you think, man, Lord, I want to, you know, remember this because discipleship is the key to growth for our future. Your leaders here today, and let me just say this about discipleship. Some of you have to rework the way you disciple. Because some of you disciple only utilizing the schedule of the church to work with your people. You cannot disciple effectively using the schedule of your church and call that discipleship. Jesus, look at Jesus' model. He didn't go and get people that were in the church. And you read the word of God. You tell me how many times was Jesus even in the church while he was discipling. He was on the shore of Galilee. He was eating over here on a hill. He was over here. He, what was he doing? He discipled the way he people lived. His lifestyle discipleship said, I want to work with you guys. Come follow me. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to get to know you as we live. We're going to sleep over here. We're going to eat over here. We're going to have a fire over here. We're going to get on the boat over here. We're going to do this. And then he showed every single thing. And then what did he do? He didn't go and demand them. He drew them out. He went to them where they were at. He asked them. And then he drew them out. See, the process of drawing out a disciple is a process that sometimes is time consuming. And some of us, God gave you an idea or an eye to see the person with potential. But because at times we could become impatient of the process of drawing them out, what happens is, is that if they don't look like good disciples right away, you will begin to leave them. And so what that shows is that you could be an image conscious discipler before you're a people discipler. That you could disciple because, and you could only disciple what makes you look good. Are you hearing me? And if we get disciple what makes us look good, then sometimes we won't have the patience that it takes to walk people through the process like Jesus did. Right? He walked the disciples through the process. He saw their sides of him that didn't make sense. But nevertheless, it was something that he saw. It was a process that took them to draw them out. So it's important. Dealing with transformation, I'll tell you this. We will not grow our churches without good discipleship. And so every single one of you, if you're leaving here today, you need to be thinking this. Who am I working with? Not who do I have in my ministry. Who am I? Is Do you even have people that claim you as a disciple? Or do you have people that you claim you're discipling, but they don't know it? <laughs> you go in the meeting, and like, who are you discipling? Oh, yeah, I got three disciples over here. And you go and ask them, oh, is so-and-so working with you? No, he's my friend. I don't think he's working. If they don't know you're working with them, you're not working with them. They need to know. It needs to be, there needs to be a consent. Right? It needs to be an agreement. Brother, how you doing? Listen, come over to my house. I'd like to talk to you. Let's go out to eat or let's go over here or, you know, walk me to the car. Listen, God's been putting you in my heart. I really have been thinking about this, and I just wanted to open up the door. I would really like to disciple you. And if you would really be open to that, uh, well, what does that mean? You know, well, is what it means. It means that I'm going to pray with you. It means I'm going to read the word with you. It means we're going to fellowship together. And it means at times you're going to help me in the ministry. And it's all going to be for the purpose of you discovering what God has called you to do so that you'll be able to get positioned in the right place to be effective, what God's called you to, so you can disciple somebody else. What do you think about that? Oh, I think that sounds great. I would love to do that. Okay, let's do it then. I'm going to start working with you. You walk away, that's your disciple. If you haven't been through that process, doesn't need to happen exactly like that, but something similar. If you haven't been through that process, then chances are you're not discipling anybody. And if you're not discipling anybody, then what we're still doing is you, even though you're here today, you're still kind of coming to these things with the excitement of getting what you need, but then not thinking about how we need. I'm a big believer that every spiritual uh, uh, encounter needs to end with the practical results. Mm-hmm. So if God's touching you spiritually today and needs to end with a practical result, that when you go into your churches and when we get into those places, we got to be able to come and start saying, you know, I got to. Some people, I gotta work with some people because you know what? As you work with two or three, what that's gonna do is it's gonna build your influence, and you're gonna have like five or ten. Cause see, once you start working with the two or three, then the five or ten are gonna want what that two or three got. You see? But if you ain't work with nobody, then you're gonna just have five. You're gonna have three. You start working with two or three according to your capacity and your time, and you can't just use the church schedule to disciple. Bro, meet me at church. We'll pray for you. We're gonna pray at the altar together. That's one part of it. You need to be at their house. Right. You need to be at, they need to be at your house. Right. You know what? When I had got me and my wife, we oversaw the homes, and I had seven guys in the home. I loved picking guys in the home to work with. I love picking guys in the home. I would come to the home director, and I would say, look, at, I, got, I see about seven guys right here that all have potential. Do you think I could start working with them little by little? And I'd sat and talk to these guys, and they said, yeah. They wanted, I love the men in the home. You know why? Because they were untouched. They didn't have a bunch of other leaders' influence. I didn't have to undo this and retrain this and retrain. It took longer in the, in the long run, but at least we had some good guys that were ready in the front, you know? And so I remember, but you know what I would do? I would go to the home and I would go to the home and show up and I would talk to Brother Leonard, the home director, and say, Len, uh, could I take Mondo uh, with me? I'd like to take Bobby with me. Oh yeah, sure, no problem. Take him with me, get him in the car. We just go, let's go. Where are we going, Pastor Mondo? I'm gonna go pay some bills, grab a stack of flyers. Grab a stack of flyers. We're gonna go pay some bills over here. I gotta run some errands, and so we had okay, half flyers, and we went, we walked, and went and walked to go pay our bills, and we're talking. So tell me about yourself. What is God doing? And what's God's been speaking? They're talking. Oh, stop real quick. See that guy over there? Go get him. Get him a flyer. You know, let's go talk to him. Talk to him about Jesus. You know, come with me over here. Let's talk to this couple. Hi, ma'am. How you doing? And as we're done. there talking. Hey, so then we're going there. we go get something to eat and go to the mall. And they would get mad at me at times later, they told me, because they'd be all tore up, you know, working in the field. And I'd pick them up, take them to the mall. So it was a humbling process for them because they were used to being all sharp sharp and everything. They'd be walking through the mall dirty with grass and everything like that. But I didn't think about it. I was just thinking, I just want to hang out with you. I was excited to hang out with them. They thought I was doing it intentional. And, man, Pastor, that was a great humbling tool. I wasn't trying to humble you. I was just picking you up. You know, but but the thing is, is that discipling people getting into the world, this group, this generation, people, the old, the first generation, this current generation, you know, and none of it's relevant, irrelevant. The first generation model that and they continue to model that they continue to model all these things. But it's very, very important because there's too many leaders today trying to disciple people in the in the schedule of the church. That's why I'm saying it. Is that fair? To say, okay, so make sure that we are doing it. And remember, when you're, mod- when you're working with people, simple statement here that keeps us in the line. Model what you expect to produce. Whatever you're going to produce, model it. Whatever you want to see develop, model it. Whatever you want to see them grow in, model it. Do all the things that need to be done there so that they will begin to uh, uh, experience what you want them to experience. Model those things. And lastly, and this is what we're ending with, okay. And this is the fifth area that we're talking about. So the first one was exaltation, right? The second one was expectation. The third one was position. The fourth is transformation. And the last one is exploration. Okay? Exploration. Now, the exploration, what is that? It's very, very important because this is what it deals with. Exploration keeps our eye focused on the new potential all around us. So as a leader in this church, as a leader in your church, you're saying, what do I need to do to impact my atmosphere wherever I go, in my ministry, in my home, in my church? I need to be a person that values exaltation, that gives God his place in everything I do before I do anything. I need to be a person that's looking for hopelessness, to raise expectation so that my pastor will plant the new seed and that the people are already po- always poised and ready on my watch. I need to raise that expectation, right, which is a faith builder, builds the faith of the people. I need to come in and make sure that myself, my ministry, and the people around me are being positioned in the proper place, getting to that next level. Don't just pray about it. Get to it. Believe that it's there. Trust the Lord. And then also, I need to have a value for transformation. I need to be a changing leader. I need to be a changing pastor. I need to be a changing disciple. I need to be a changing disciple maker. I need to keep myself positioned around other people who are better than me. I need to be a question asker, a strategist. I need to be a follow-through person. And then lastly, I need to be an exploratory type of leader. Now, the Bible tells a story about Jonathan. One day, sitting down with his armor bearer—probably not sitting down; he's probably more pacing, if anything. His father was sitting down, and all of his soldiers were sitting down under the pomegranate tree, eating pomegranates. And Joshua uh, and uh, uh, Jonathan was pacing, probably back and forth, looking at his father and his men in frustration. And then jo- Jonathan, when he couldn't handle it no more, turns to his armor bearer and says, "Listen." Uh, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm paraphrasing. I can't deal with this anymore. Look at this. Look at my dad. Look at my dad over here with his army, and they're over here eating pomegranates, and the enemy's right there. He says, let's go up here, and let's see if God will give us the victory, right? And so the armor bearer told him, do whatever's in your heart. I'm with you, heart and soul. They went up. They said, if they say this to us, we know God gave us the victory. If they say this, and we know it's not time. They go up, and they say, hey, you guys, get over here. That was the sign they were waiting for. God gave us a victory. Let's go up and fight. They went in. They beat 20 dudes, 20 army, 20 20 guys, right? They killed them. That wasn't the big thing. That 20 got God's attention, and the Lord stood up and killed the whole army. Are you hearing me? One man, another man that followed, went in and said, we got to explore and get into a new level. Into to another level because we have to change our current circumstance. And that act of faith triggered God to move at a larger scale on their behalf. Right? What happened with Joshua and Caleb? They were sent as spies to go and explore the land. And as they explored the land, they went into the territory. And as they went into the territory, uh, what happened? They came back with the other spies and the ten spies gave their version of what they explored, right? But the Bible says that before they went, it it said that Jonathan, I mean that Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit, right? And that they had passion, they followed the Lord passionately. That's what it said about Caleb, you know? And so they had something different. So what happened was they went, they explored the land, they came back, the 10 came back and they said something key. We seen ourselves through our own eyes as grasshoppers. Joshua and Caleb said, stop, we can take this land. I see a land flowing with milk and honey. These 10 went and explored the land as spies. Joshua and Caleb explored the land as residents. They went into a new territory already seen themselves living there while these other ones saw themselves just visiting. And so what God is showing us through that is he's saying, listen, if you are going to be able to expand this work, I'm not just relying on the pastors to expand the work, I'm relying on you as leaders who are out in the community, who are with the people to come in and begin to bring in the reports and not a report that is settled. Not a report that is satisfied, not a report that is just looking for security, but looking through eyes of exploration. And what does exploration deal with? It deals with identifying the greatness around you. It deals with identifying the greatness that is around us. It deals with inspiring that greatness. It deals with igniting that grace, greatness. It deals with instructing that greatness. It deals with increasing that greatness. And so what God is saying today, listen to me. You can come to the piano, AJ. I'm going to end here. What the Lord is saying to us today is this. If we're going to be leaders, we're going to be making an impact in our churches, then we're going to have to know how to change the atmosphere. Everywhere we go. We can't sit back and let somebody else do what we've been called to do. You have an atmosphere in your home. You have an atmosphere in your Bible study, in your men's home, in your youth ministry, in your youth service, in your music ministry, in your your music rehearsals. And what people are coming in and what they want to be a part of is they want to be a part of something exciting. They want to be a part of something that challenges us. I hope you're feeling challenged today, are you? Anybody feeling challenged today? So this is a challenge for us today, is that what we're looking at. I just want to say a quick prayer before I hand it over today. If you look in your notes on page 10... Pastors, let me just say this too, as for exploration, it's not only about discovering the greatness in people, but it also deals with the new potential, the new territory, the new methods and new strategies, all those things that God wants to really begin to bring. But if you look at page ten, you could just see when you have all those things working, what happens to the church. Exaltation brings us stability. So does being properly positioned. Properly positioned doesn't just mean about getting to what God has. It means about having the right people in the right place, the right leader. Some of you now are going to go back home and you're going to begin to look and you're going to need to be going to re-strategize some of the people that you have placed that they may be better at least suiting the church's growth here. You know, we don't want to leave holes in the ministry, so that's why we need discipleship. So that we can reposition people put them here, and take them out of there, put them here. One of the things is too, let me just say this, is that we got to get out of the habit of recycling good disciples. What does that mean? That means that sometimes we have people with potential and all the leaders want to get around them and start pulling them here, pulling them there, pulling them here, pulling them there. And just working with the same core. And then what happens too is we've been to many churches that you're coming in and, God is trying to make you an established church, but you're still functioning like a pioneering church. And in your pioneering church, you got leaders that have multiple tasks when it's clearly evident that they should have one task now because they're gifted in music or they're gifted in youth or they're gifted in children, but we got them doing children and music and Bible study. We got them in the home. We got them helping here. We got to help them there. We got to have, But you know, I can't. But if I do that, I'm going to be left with nothing. And I'm going to have to pioneer again. Or then I'm going to have to work hard again. You got to do what you got to do. Because if you don't do it, you're going to burn those people out. You're going to lose the good people you have. And then those people will never get to a place where they can start developing their area of expertise or the gifting that God has put in their hand. Not saying that it has to happen overnight, but it needs to start. So, you got to put emphasis on discipleship so you have a greater pool. Every church should have a pool of disciples. Right by my house, me and my wife would we drive, and then there's a big lake not too far from our house. But there's a big lake, and then one day I seen the, the fish truck, big old truck, come right to the lake and just, and then it was dumping all the fish into the lake. And as I've seen that happen, the Lord says, every church needs to have that kind of lake of disciples in their church. That all the leaders working together, and they're coming and they're looking for new disciples, and they're all coming, and they're all bringing them, putting them into the pool of discipleship, so that the pastor can come and say, what do we need in the church? What do we need to grow to the next level? Oh, we gotta, you know, we gotta get that ministry going. Let me look in that pool. Oh, you know what? Oh, pull that one out. Come here, brother. I got an assignment for you. And I know it's not just my assignment. I could see I heard what God was speaking to your heart. And I know what he put in your heart. And I think it's going to fit you. What do you think about this? Get involved in this. When the leaders are not discipling, the lake's empty. Pool's empty. Pastors Limited. Pastor says, well, we got to do it. I need brother so and so. I need you to do this, and I need you to do this ministry. I need you to do this ministry. I need you to do two or three ministries. Are you hearing me? Does that make sense? Some of you are there. Some of you are multitasking in your church. But if you're tired of multitasking, then get to discipling. Because what we need is we're going to start needing your churches." To become established churches can't be pioneering forever can't be pioneering 6 10 years, 15 years down the road we can't do that that there's anything wrong, with it. believe me I've heard our founders say "Oh, some guys just want to have a 50 members 75 members in their church and just go ahead and have a church he said that's alright, there's a place for you here I agree with that but not if God has called you to do more, and you know it. If God has called us to do more, it's time to do more. Let's all stand. I give you my heart. I sing it, AJ. I give you my heart. Just, just let him sing it. I just want you to just stay before the presence of God. Just to be in your presence, I give my everything. This morning, I want to pray for all those that feel that you are ready for the new adventure. You are ready to throw your life into the hands of the Savior and say, God, whatever you want to change
1: whatever needs to be worked out if it means
0: me going to the next level I'm ready to adjust because I need new concepts I need new methods I need new strategies I need new people I need new disciples I need a new name I need new influence That's you this morning. I want you to walk to this altar. If you're ready for that. And as you hit this altar, as you begin to position yourself at this altar, I just want you to dialogue with him. And just start talking to him about the areas that you already feel he wants to change in you. Go ahead and play that. Just play it. Don't sing it, just play it. Play it at a good level to give them a little privacy at the altar so they can talk to the Lord. Hallelujah. That's it. Go ahead and talk to Jesus. Oh, that's it.